Good morning. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to be here with you this morning. I know most of you, I think, or all of you. My name's Jeremy. I'm one of the house church pastors with Living Church. Um, Kyle and I were laughing as we walked in this morning just about how um, nice it is to be here, but how weird it is to be back here. We, you know, we were here for years, every Sunday, worshiping here in this space. And now for the last, um, I don't know, coming up on close to a year, maybe nine months, we've been um, worshiping over in Northern Kentucky with the Northern Kentucky Gathering. And um, it's been hard and good. Um, and we're just so thankful for the graciousness that you guys have extended to us as we've been sending us out um, and doing that well. And it's been just fun to see all the ways God has used that. So I wanted to start by saying thank you for that. And thanks for, again, for having me back here. Um, I want to encourage you to come on the 19th. Is that, that's two weeks from now. Um, it's a normal time for you guys to be here. Um, but it's, it'll be a, an off week for the Northern Kentucky gathering, but we'll all be up here. Um, and our Nepal team is going to share with you guys that morning um, just a little bit about our trip. And I say a little bit because we had a meeting this last week. Um, with, there were only six of us that went, and we're just trying to figure out what are we going to share, what are we going to talk about, and it became painfully obvious that there's no way that in the 35 minutes that we are allotted that morning that we'll be able to share everything. And one of the things that probably won't have opportunity to come out that morning is all of the funny stories um, that happened. We laughed more on that trip than I, I've laughed in a long time. It was a blast. Um, so I'm going to take a minute. This has nothing to do with anything that I'm talking about this morning. But I want to tell you about one of those stories. So we're in Nepal, and we go to the city called Dharan, which is like, you know, Kathmandu is like their big city. That's where we flew into, and then we get to Dharan, and Dharan is a, small, a smaller town. Um, there's a lot of people, but it's very rural feeling, um, and very poor, very, you know, a um, lot of tin, you know, one-story tin roof houses, um, and I'm, they split us up on, they have church on Saturday morning there because Saturday is their only day off for the week. They work six days a week and then they're off on Saturday. So they have church on Saturday morning. They split our team up in six different groups because they didn't want all six white people to show up at one of these little churches because it, it could be detrimental to them. It could cause them to be persecuted because they have all these, they, you know, could cause a rift in the community. So they split us up. So we each go to our own house church. And so I am in, I, I, I get on the back of a moped and ride to this little um, this little church. It was in Simon, Pastor Simon. It was in his um, in-law's house, and they had just built a little addition on the back of their house, which looked like literally, you know, three walls and a metal, uh, all made of sheet metal, and a, and a roof is like maybe 12 by 12, you know, and like I had a duck to get him. Mean, it's just a tiny little room, but that was their sanctuary, and Anyways, and I'll talk a little bit more about the church service in a couple of weeks, but they fed us everywhere we went. They fed us so much food that we, it was like painful. Um, they were very, like so hospitable and they, and they were really offended if you didn't eat everything they gave you and they would just keep, 
Every time you'd take a bite, they would scoop more onto your plate. And then they'd stand over you and say, what's the matter? Why are you not eating? And we're like, well, we're really full. But, they, you know, they fed us better than they ever eat. Like, they, they spent all of their money to feed us that week. It was really humbling and crazy. So that's happened for a couple of days What we've been there. And then here I am on Saturday morning sitting in this little church building. And I got there like 45 minutes early. And there's only a couple people there. And people are kind of starting to trickle in. Well, his mother-in-law brings me a plate. And I'm just sitting there. And she brings me this plate. On it are five bananas and four oranges. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is to share with everybody. And then she brings, goes, leaves and comes back with another plate. It's a mound of apples all sliced up. Like, it's probably four or five apples on this plate. And she sets it next to me, and she, mo- she doesn't speak any English. She just motions and says, eat, eat. And so I, like, peel a banana, and I'm eating my banana. And then I reach over, and I grab the plate, and I start handing it to the people. There were a couple people that had gotten there. And she came over, and she was, like, really offended. Like, no, 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 for you. I'm like, that's a lot of fruit. <laughs> and, then, and so I just, you know, I'm just kind of picking at it and talking to people as they come in. And then she comes back in and I can see her stand in the doorway and she's just like and she walks off and then Simon comes in a minute later and he's like pastor what is the problem why are you not eating the fruit we've been given I'm like man I'm eating the best I can I like I can't eat all of this and he was like it's for you so before I got up to preach at that church I sat there and I ate five bananas and four oranges and all of those apples. There was a little bit left right before they took, a, they took a little bit of the leftovers away and fed me to them. As soon as we were done with church, I had to finish. But anyway, so it was just like this crazy feel. I'm sitting there. I'm so full. I like, you know, but also humbled and, and just appreciative of their hospitality. So then go through the church service. It was two hours long. It was wonderful, beautiful service. Again, I'll tell you more about that in a couple of weeks. But we get done, and they had me pray for everyone in the church. They had me, like, pray over every single person's prayer requests. And we finished praying, and then Simon leans over to me. He said some things in Nepali. I didn't know what he was talking about. And then he leans over to me, and he says, Pastor, everyone would like to greet you before they leave. And so I'm sitting down, and so I... I st- they start forming a line in front of me. And so I stand up to shake the first person's hand. And I don't know if it's related to all the fruit I ate, but I don't know, I still don't know exactly what happened, but my belt, as I stood up, my belt burst open. <laughs> like, like the metal broke. And it's like, and, and I also... I had this new pair of pants on. It was the first time I'd ever worn. I packed them just for the bottom for the trip. And they were a little big. And so it, and it happened as I was standing up. So as I stood up, my belt burst open, and my pants fell down to my knees. And I'm standing there, like, totally embarrassed. And, like, I turned around, and I'm, like, trying to figure out what happened. And I finally, I just tied my belt in a big knot and turned back around. And the little guy in front of me is still standing there like this, just waiting to shake my hand. It was the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> Anyways, I enjoy telling those kind of stories, and I probably won't get to tell that in a couple of weeks, so thanks for, thanks for laughing at me. Um, so this morning, we're going we're gonna to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Pastor Mark 
um, correct me if I'm wrong, started a couple of weeks ago um, kind of asking this question about prayer and about Jesus's prayer life. Do you guys remember that at all? And he talked about that phrase, our Father, right? And as Jesus teaches people to pray, he begins by calling God his Father and just the impact that that had on his prayer life. Um, And so this morning, we're going to kind of piggyback off of that, and we're going to look at kind of the result of realizing that God is our Father, the result of realizing that we've truly been adopted into his family, and the confidence that that gives us to, to pray, and the confidence, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, the confidence to enter the holy places. There's that word holy, kids, if you're, if you're counting. If you were, you know, a, a, a Hebrew, right, that's who this book is written to, if you were a Jew in that time and you heard that phrase, he says, we have confidence to enter the holy places, We'll read the rest of it here in a minute, but I want to just start and focus on that phrase, the confidence to enter the holy places. That would have been a mind-boggling thought for you. It would have been crazy to think about having confidence to enter a holy place. Nobody, unless you were a madman, would ever have entered the holy place with confidence. I want us to think together um, about some of the things Um, examples that we see in scripture and there's a lot of them and I've drawn out a few here but just the times when when God's presence right made a place holy and the people got to interact with that the big one that comes to mind anybody remember the story of Uzzah Uzzah was in charge they were bringing the ark right the 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 box basically where God's presence dwelt they're bringing the ark back into Jerusalem and Uzzah gets the honor of driving the cart right he's got an ox and he's got a cart and he's driving the cart and on it is the is the ark and it says that the ox slipped and what did Uzzah do he reached out to make sure that the ark didn't fall and as soon as he touched it he fell over dead Uzzah entered a holy place. And what was the result? He died. In Exodus 33, it says, uh, God says, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. No man can see God and live. Why is that? Because God is holy. And what are we? Are we holy? We're not holy, right? God is holy, and we cannot even look at him and continue living. In Numbers 17, it says, The people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, so he, in this story, uh, Moses is bringing people to the holy, to the tabernacle, and they're, and, and they're kind of bringing, like they're, they're, it says their chiefs are coming by, and, and they're counting all the people. And it says, the people complain back to Moses. They say, behold, we perish. We are undone. We are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? They go, Moses, we know about this place. We're not going there. Everybody who goes there dies. 
We're not going to get close to the tabernacle. We know better than that. 1 Samuel 5 says they were moving the ark again. They, they take the ark of God to Ekron. As the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out saying, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. Right, so this is the reputation that God's presence has in Scripture. Whenever God's presence was, was manifest, when God's presence was known or made, made apparent, it was a place that people just couldn't go, couldn't even look at, right? And we could go on and on. There's so many other stories. I think about Isaiah, right? When God gives Isaiah this vision and shows him the throne room of heaven and what is Isaiah's response? He says, woe is me, I am undone, right? That same phrase again, I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy to even see this thing that's going on. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be here. In Revelation chapter one is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. John is on an island. He's been exiled to this island and he's just walking around on the island and he turns around, he hears this loud voice, and he turns around and he sees Jesus, right? What it, John and Jesus, Jesus, John describes him in the Gospel of John as being Jesus' best friend, right? He's, they were tight, they were buddies. But when John turns around there and he sees Jesus now resurrected in Jesus' glorified state, what's his response? Does anybody know? It says, he fell at his feet as though dead, he fell at his feet as though dead. The same response that everybody has, whether literally or, or figuratively, when you're in the presence of God, you fall at his feet as though dead. But Jesus laid his right hand on John and said, Fear not. Fear not. And that is what we want to unpack a little bit this morning, is that idea that God is just as holy as he's ever been, right? It's not that God has taken any of his holiness away or, or, or compromised in any way to allow us. God is still God, and God is still as holy as he's ever been. And yet, he puts his hand on us and says, fear not in my presence, he says, you can come into my presence, you can come into the holy place with confidence, with confidence. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. When I think about the fear and uncertainty, you know, there was such an uncertainty to God's presence, right? There were times when it seemed like it was like maybe kind of a little bit of a safe place to be. And then other times it's like Uzzah is just trying to take care of God's presence and he dies, right? It was... So, like, as the, the way that the people learned about how to interact with God's presence was they died, and they went, oh, okay, now we know not to do that, right? So there was just such a fear and uncertainty around it. When I think about it, I was trying to relate to that. I was trying to think about that kind of uncertainty. And I don't, like, I'm not a guy, I'm not a fearful person. I don't often find myself afraid. But you guys, some of you guys have heard this story maybe before, but there was a time I was in... Um, climbing in Red River Gorge. Anybody ever been to Red River Gorge? Beautiful place. Go there. I was climbing in Red River Gorge. I was taking, I was a youth pastor. I had some of my students with me. And um, me and my intern, guy, he was working for me. 
um, decided to climb this one rock called Haystack Rock. And it's, it's this dome-shaped rock, and it's got a little... Um, if, if you can make it to the back side of the rock, there's easy steps. You can climb right up to the top, and it's a beautiful, fun place to go. But getting around the side of the rock is really tricky. And I remember being there, and I, I was doing okay. We're shimmying along the side of this rock, and I was doing okay, but I looked over, and my, my intern, John, was like shaking. And below us, is like 200 foot drop, you're gonna die if you fall. And we had no, we, didn't, we were so dumb, we had no ropes or anything. In that moment was, was this feeling of helplessness, right? I had, no, I had nothing to stand on, I had nowhere to, to, to secure myself. At one point, I was trying to coach him to help him so he didn't, fall and die. I had my hand on the back of his neck. I was, had a hold of his shirt. And my plan was when he fell, I was going to throw him backwards because there was a tree there. I thought at least maybe he'll hit the branches. That's how like close we were. And at one point I was like, reach up. There's a hole right up here. Reach up and grab that hole. That'll like, that's a good place to put your hand. And then we both looked up and, and it was like, I had seen that hole and it was fine a minute ago. But when, then we looked up and as we looked at that hole, there's a swarm of hornets coming out of it. <laughs> and they're like all around, it was just horrible situation. We survived. We finally got back to the flat ground and laid down and cried for a while. But, but that's what it was like for the Israelites interacting with God's presence. Or that's the closest thing I can think of is just, okay, I, I think I've got it figured out. And then... God strikes you down dead, right? And so God did that for a purpose to establish this, the, the understanding that to be with God is impossible for sinful humans. To be with him is impossible. And he didn't want there to be any question about it. There's something about coming into the presence of a holy God that mere humans sinful people just aren't able to do. For no man can see me and go on living. No man can see me and go on living. God, God describes himself it, throughout the Old Testament. There's this, there's this kind of a, a repeated pattern um, as, as God introduces himself to people. You'll hear that, you'll probably recognize this as I read it. In Exodus 34 is where um, he's, introducing himself to Moses. Moses is on the side of the mountain and God is going to pass before him. And, he, and this is how God introduces himself to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. That's who God, if, if you were to meet God and shake his hand, that's how he says his name right there. That's his description of who he is. Did you guys hear the shift there in the middle? Right, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, kind and loving and forgiving sin. And he says, but 
who will by no means clear the guilty. Wait a minute. How do those things go hand in hand? How does, how does God, gracious and merciful and slow to anger, and at the same time, the same God, by no means, there is no way God's going to clear the guilty. And he's going to visit the iniquity of the, on the children's children's children to the third and fourth generation. How do those two things go hand in hand? How can that be the same God that says both things? I think this is what Jesus understood that made him able to pray the way that he did, that gave him the strength and the ability to be and walk who, as who, who he walked as. So we've got this problem, right? That we've, we've got a holy God that wants to be with his people, that can't be with his people. And so we know this, he set up a system God set up a system called the sacrificial system by which the priests could come and they could kill an animal, right? So that they could go and be in the tabernacle in the holy place and the holy of holies. And even those priests, outside of special circumstances, only went in there once a year. And they had to go through this big ritual and kill certain animals and they had to have blood spilt for them to be able to be atoned for. Listen to this in Leviticus 17. This is after God sets up the whole, the whole system. He, he, the first 17 chapters of Leviticus are God laying out the whole system for how they're supposed to make all the sacrifices and all the many rules. I mean, it took 17 chapters, long chapters of the Bible to, to describe it. And at the, kind of towards the end of it in Leviticus 17, it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. There's something about lifeblood. God says that that blood, we've got to kill these animals, we've got to spill their blood. But the reason, he's given the reason here is because that blood represents their life. And, And they have to pour out their life for you to make atonement. Do you guys know that word atonement? It's kind of a a difficult word to define. But it it really means to make payment or to have a covering or um, to make reparations. You guys ever had to make reparations? One time I stole a pack of gum from a a convenience store and I got in the car with my mom after we left and I was chewing gum and she said, Where'd you get that gum? And my face got red, and I was like, ah. I picked it up at the counter inside, and my mom gave me, I think it was a nickel. It was a, old, like a little bazooka. You guys remember those? I think she gave me a nickel, because that's what it cost. And I had to walk back in there, and I had to make reparations. I had to pay back what I had taken. That's the picture that atonement paints. It's this idea that, that something has to make payment so that we can be made right. And God says that the blood of those animals that we're sacrificing is what does it. Atonement was made by sacrificing pure animals to make payment for the sins of the priests. 
that they, and it was only for a short time, might be clean enough, covered by the blood of the pure animals to enter the holy places. How do we get from that system to the writer of Hebrews saying, come, enter the holy, holy places with confidence? Let's go read. Let's read in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read verses 19 through 25. And then we'll kind of go back and work our way through it verse by verse. Hebrews 10, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we, there's that phrase, have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God, I pray as we talk through these verses that you would do what only you can do, and illuminate them, um, help them to speak truth through your spirit into our hearts. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get the answer pretty quickly, right? We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of who? Try it again. By the blood of who? Jesus. Jesus. No longer do we have to wonder if the animal that we sacrificed was pure enough or good enough, right? Can you imagine those priests? They're like, all right, bring the best bull. And we look it over and it's like, ah, I don't see any blemish. Let's kill it, put it on the altar, and then send somebody in, <laughs> right? Can you imagine the fear going, well, I don't know, I thought maybe, maybe that bull wasn't good enough. Maybe, maybe he wasn't all the way clean, right? Like they had this constant concern and fear um, that no longer is in place. Why is it no longer in place? Because Jesus on the cross made the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, right? When he died, he made atonement for our sins once and for all, Amen. We can now be atoned for by the blood of Jesus. Christ, through his death on the cross, made the ultimate sacrifice once for all that we who believe in him can now have confidence to enter the holy places. Verse 20. It's by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Somebody tell me about the curtain. What's, what's it referencing there when it says the curtain? Say it louder. Yeah. So in the temple, in the tabernacle, and then in the temple, they, they had the holy place, and then inside of that was another smaller room called the Holy of Holies, and separating that from people, right, separating all of that was this big curtain, and in the temple, um, we think that, that that curtain was like four inches thick. It was like this beautifully woven 
finest materials ever, beautiful curtain, heavy, big, giant curtain that separated, that kept God's presence separated from the people. And it was when you walked through that curtain that you really were in danger of being in God's presence. But he opened the way through the curtain. He says, by Jesus' blood, Jesus dying on the cross, he opened the way through the curtain. What happened to that curtain when Jesus died? Miraculously, right? Not like it, somebody, like, it wasn't like God said, hey, go take the curtain down. God took the curtain down. He tore it in half, representing his spirit, his, his presence now being open into all the earth. He says we have a great high priest. Right? We have one who lived a perfect life that is able to make that connection between us and God. That's why we don't need priests anymore. Right? We don't have to have those people that are that are set apart and special to go and make the sacrifices because Jesus made the sacrifice and he's the priest and he makes a way for us between us and God. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I think this, is, this, this verse is the crux of this whole passage. That we are to draw near. Draw near to who? Draw near to God. Draw, come into that holy place. We can have confidence to enter the holy places. We can have confidence to draw near to God. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance. What do we know about the the true human heart. Exactly. It's deceitfully wicked. Above everything else, the human heart is evil. How on earth am I going to come with my true heart and stand before that holy God? I think guys that 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 our true heart and this is the this is the shift right why was jesus able to pray the way that he did and have the confidence that he did because he was perfect because he actually deserved to be in the presence of god because he actually lived in a, his life in a way that made him able to approach god without anyone making sacrifices without any blood being spilt, Jesus could be in God's presence because he lived a perfect life. But we were born with sinful human hearts and we've lived our lives with rottenness inside of us. But here's what I think that that word means when he says, draw near with a true heart. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you, have, if you have placed your trust and your faith in the blood of Jesus on the cross for your sins, then Scripture says that he's 
taken out that old heart and put a new heart in you. It says that he's regenerated our heart. He's taken what was a heart of stone, an ugly, hard heart, and he's made it soft. He's regenerated. He's transformed it. Scripture talks over and over about the transformation that takes place in a person. It's a miraculous thing. And we celebrate that and we love it. And then when we come to pray, we forget all about it. We come to pray and we go, ah, I'm not worthy. I've got an ugly heart. I don't deserve to be in God's presence. We forget. We forget the whole thing that we believe that Jesus purifies us. That is the reality. We think, we think that the reality is that I'm an ugly, dirty, rotten sinner and hopefully Jesus will take care of me. But, but the reality is that Jesus, the way God sees you, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus because Jesus made atonement for your sin. He, he took on your sin and put his righteousness, it says he imputed his righteousness onto you. So when God looks at you, when God sees your true heart, he sees perfection. He sees holiness. He sees Jesus. So if we want to pray like Jesus prayed, if we want to confidently come to him and say, our Father, the one who has adopted us, we're going to read in Ephesians here in just a second, that God adopted us into his family. If we, could, if we want to pray that way with that kind of confidence, we want to step into the holy places, into God's presence with confidence. We have to believe the gospel. We have to believe the gospel that he has changed us and that God sees us in a different light now. We can have full assurance. How do we have full assurance? That's where faith comes in. Right? That is our faith. That, that I can come now believing that my heart, my true heart that I'm exposing to God, the one that I'm bringing into that holy place, I have faith that Jesus' blood has covered it and that all of the ugliness that I see in it was nailed to the cross. And God doesn't see that anymore. He sees his son in my place. He wants us to come into his presence. He wants us to pray knowing that with full assurance, without our faith wavering at all. He wants us to come in confidently, believing the gospel. This is where our faith is tested. Can I pray to God? Can I worship God with my true heart in complete confidence? I must, in order to do that, I must have faith that Christ's sacrifice made atonement for my sin. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that when, when God looks at you, he doesn't see all of the junk that you see? We've got to get help ourselves see ourselves in light of reality if we're followers of Christ that he has made us clean. We have to change the way we think when we pray. 
For many of us, and all of us at times, when we come before God and present our hearts to him, we are doing so in our flesh. But we have to, like he says here, we have to see ourselves with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the truth. In John 4, it says, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. Right? We can't worship God as that dirty, rotten sinner. Do you, you, you guys know that, that if we're to enter God's presence, right? If we're going to step into God's presence, we're going to talk to him and, and interact with him. The only way we can do that is if we have complete faith that Christ, in his sacrifice, made atonement for our sin. And this is where the enemy just loves to mess with us. Right? It's why he says the true heart. What, what scripture calls the enemy, they calls Satan the father of lies, the accuser. The enemy wants us to stay stuck in the place of seeing ourselves as those rotten sinners that aren't worthy to step into God's presence. He wants us to be separated from God. The Spirit, God's Spirit, wants to reassure us this morning, wants to remind us this morning that God has made a way. And it's not, this is the error that we fall into, is that we believe that I can, I can come into God's presence because God just kind of looks the other way. Because ever feel that? I, I catch myself thinking that sometimes, that God's just kind of this mamby-pamby, you know, softy kind of guy that loves everybody. And, but we read the way God described himself, right? By no means is he going to clear the guilty. By no means is he going to clear the guilty. The truth is that we in and of ourselves are not holy, but God has made us holy. God has atoned for our sins through the blood of Jesus on the cross. And we have to constantly remind ourselves of this, and we have to remind one another of this. I feel like in the church, a lot of times, the reminder that we give to each other is the reminder that we're sinful. And, not, and I don't want to take away from that 100%, because it is important for us to not lose sight of the fact we have to remember where we came from. Right? We have to, we still, like John, are going to fall at his feet as though dead. But you know what we never are doing a good job of in the church is reminding each other that Jesus reached down and he said, fear not. He says here to spur one another on. Spur one another on to love and good works. He says, remind each other of these truths that, hey, brother, sister, you can enter the holy places of God because of what Jesus did for you. I want to end this morning just by reading Ephesians. I think Mark read this with you guys a couple of weeks ago, but Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, it says, He predestined, in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Guys, this morning, God has united all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. He has united us. And we have to, if we want to pray like Jesus prayed, if we want to enter the holy places with confidence, we've got to be reminding ourselves and reminding one another of the reality that God has made our hearts pure, that God has made us clean. And when, when God looks at me, he's not disappointed. When God looks at me, he's not disappointed. I, I catch myself feeling that way all the time. And I've got to remind myself, and I need people around me to remind me that God's not disappointed in you. When he looks at you, he sees Christ. And when we talk to him, he hears Christ interceding on our behalf. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing some more. God, we thank you that somehow you predestined us for adoption. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to make us your children. And God, so often we feel like stepchildren or we feel like like we're just not worthy to be your kids. God, help us to walk in light of the gospel. Help us to pray with the confidence that Jesus had before you, having lived a perfect life. Never forgetting where we came from, God. Never forgetting what you saved us from. But God, help us to remember what you've saved us to. Help us to remember that we are the beloved children of the King of Kings. God, as we sing now, Lord, we put our faith, we put our trust in the blood of Jesus, that as you hear us sing, it could be pleasing and honoring to you. Amen.